All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Stories from a Mountain Town. Uh, I am your host, Tyler Meany, and today with me, I have my brother, Ryan Meany. Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so today, as always, we have another Snake River beer. Um, I just want to do a little little announcement before we get into things. They are back to opening at, at um, not full capacity, but uh, full menu, great, same great items, same great beer. You can get it. You can buy it at any liquor store, growlers, cans. Um, they're actually doing tap beer at the brewer, at the brewery, which is less common, I think, right now. Not, I don't. I think I've seen some places just doing cans and bottles, but they are back to being uh, fully operational. So go check them out. Um, so today we have Pacos. Ryan, have you ever had Pacos before? Yeah, had one yesterday actually. Oh, nice. So grab one. Pacos is probably the podcast's favorite beer. It's like everybody that um, I ask, everybody around here that wants a, um, that I ask what beer they want, they always say Pacos. It's a classic Jackson beer. Cheers. Okay, so Ryan has been out here. How long have you been out here now? Eight days now. Eight days. Limited up, wearing the Madeira hat. I think that logo is actually supposed to be the Tetons. Did you know that? I did not. It's a yeah. nice hat, though. Yeah, because the, they, they started it They started it here, and then they moved it to Victor or something, that company. Madeira Outdoor. Shout out to them. Um and uh, tell the people a little bit about what we've been doing, right? Since I've been here, we've been biking almost every day. Mm-hmm. I think the whole point of coming out here was to do a lot of biking and visit you guys. So um, earlier in the spring, I bought a new bike and I bought it specifically so that I could bring it out here and ride some of the trails um, in Jackson with you. So we've just been... We've been, yeah, we've done some major rides. We've done um, almost all of them in the past. We've done, we did, we shuttled the uh, Fuzzy Bunny to Jimmy's mom to Parallel um, Lap, and then we did the um, uh, what did we do? Canyon. Black Canyon, yeah, we did Black Canyon, and that's a that's an awesome ride. I've only done that. That was my second time doing that only. But it's just like a really, you like, you go, you park at the top of the pass and then you bike along the south uh, pass ridge there all the way to the top of Mount Ellie. And then you just go off the south side of Mount Ellie and that's the can- there's a canyon back there. And so it's like, how many miles was that one? Probably look at my app. but I think it, it was a two mile climb to get to the top of the trailhead, but part of the climb took so long because we had to stop and get off our bikes and carry them through snow about a quarter of the way which yeah there was still a bunch a fun of snow adventure yeah yeah and then the the ride is just like a really fun really fast open downhill like there's not really jumps or anything but you can get really flowy and fast and it's really fun for for us because because we're not like big jumpers it's uh 8.6 miles took us an hour and two minutes to go from the top of the pass all the way back down to um the stagecoach yeah that that was a really fun ride i liked how like we kept our speed almost the whole time but mm-hmm. yeah we got a little 
sketchy when my brakes stopped working and <laughs> uh <laughs> using a lot of front brake and barely slowing down in the corners but made for a fun ride yeah we were ripping there at the bottom like we were just going full tilt and it was just like you're in the bottom of the canyon and so you're just kind of moving back and forth on the uh the little berms that it kind of, it's like a little squiggly trail, but you're not really stopping for any of them. You're just keeping your speed ripping. The bikes are made to just rip through any sort of like rocky areas or rooty areas that we covered, but it was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and then we did, this was a weekday, but we did like a little Phillips Ridge ride just like halfway up and back down. And then yesterday we did, um, we rode Phillips Canyon from, arrow trail so you you drive up the pass and you go to the same parking lot that jimmy's mom starts at which is the two level parking lot it's like nearly halfway up and then you got to do like a like two miles of pedaling which is which is a really fun pedal right it was it's high up there really good dirt not too steep yeah that that was a really fun fun trail kind of it was uphill but it wasn't that hard like cool rolling sections nice turns and beautiful scenery too like we were way out in the in the back country which made for a exciting ride too yeah we got way out there like but we're we're below all of the bowls that you can see if you look at mount glory and to the right and to the north of them below all that stuff near ski lake really cool area um and then you basically ride from there all the way down to the valley floor back to the Phillips Canyon trailhead, which is where we had, um, we parked my truck there and then shuttled Ryan to the, to the top of the trail. So that was a really good ride. And we had our first, uh, tumbles of the trip on that trail because we we're going super fast. And then there'd be like these rocky technical sections out of nowhere. And then we just, Ryan kind of ate shit. And then I just took a small one. Yeah. I was, I was leading down the trail no, no idea what, what was up ahead and all of a sudden there's like a huge rock garden with some jagged rocks and <laughs> yeah. i hesitated and tried to stop and then my tire got <laughs> stuck in one and i went uh over the handlebars and tried to catch myself but got tangled in the in the bike itself but yeah only a few scrapes and bruises yeah and luckily i got it on my gopro so when i post this video this week sometime you'll be able to see that so that'd be good um but yeah i think I think it was cool too. We were talking yesterday with Tyler's friend Cove, and he was saying, "Yeah, sometimes it's good to fall on your mountain bike and not get hurt, because then it takes away the fear of like riding fast or going off jumps, because you know you're not going to get hurt that bad." Yeah, yeah, that can help. I still have a little bit of. I'm still a little gun shy from my tumble I took last at the bike park last year. Yeah, I guess that fucked me up. I've never uh, fallen that hard or. Yeah had any head head injuries from my bike falls yet <laughs> yeah i don't even know how that happened still i just so um for the listeners that don't know so last uh last july like around this time actually like i think it was i think it was july 1st i was at the bike park here at jackson hole mountain resort just riding on my own it's not a very big bike park and i know all the trails and uh our stepmom leanne was at the teton club and I texted her. I was like, all right, last run. Then we'll come hang out. She had some some girlfriends in town. And I was hitting the trail called True Grit, which is like a bigger jump line. Some pretty good jumps in there. And I was doing it so many times that I was like um, clearing every single jump, like 
pretty well and I was going really fast and like not breaking. And then I was like, you know, kept pushing and pushing to go better and harder. And then all of a sudden I like wake up kind of my memory comes back to me and I'm like sitting on the side of the trail on my bike covered in dirt and blood and like just really confused, really out of it. Didn't really know where I was. And I was calling Taylor um, because I was just like, I don't know where I am. I need to figure out what's going on. And I was like asking her where she was, even though I knew she was babysitting that night. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, so I still don't know. I still don't actually remember the crash at all. Those jumps are just too big and scary. Yeah. And especially by yourself and no one there watching you. Yeah. I mean, I figured like bike park, someone would come down, but it was the end of the day. Like, well, there were only a couple more minutes left in their opening. So like nobody was there and it's not the most common trail. So yeah, not a lot of the bike park goers are shredding the true grit yeah. just because the jumps are so big. And I mean, you have to get 10 feet of air just to like clear it. And if you don't like you're going to case and it hurts quite a bit. Yeah. And, but what I think happened based on, we went there the other day looking at the jump, the, the landing has like a bigger lip on it on the jump that I fell on than the other, all the other jumps in the park. So I'm thinking like either I hit my nose on it or my tail on it and just like flipped over because like it seemed that I landed directly on my face because I just had like bruising on my right cheek and like a big like scrape on my face and then like on my arms from like the right after it. And then my helmet had like a little some scratch scratches on it. My pit vipers and the sunglasses that I wear, the lenses were all scratched up from landing on it. So but you did get redemption. So I got redemption. Yeah. I went back and hit it and landed it. And I'm here to, to tell the tale. Yeah. That was a, it was good to get back out to the bike park and hit some of the jumps and work on getting some airtime. Yeah. I was having trouble at the beginning because I don't really ever jump when I'm riding the trails out here. Cause I'm usually with the dogs. And so if I fall, like some bad, sh- bad shit could happen. But there's like a, there's like a, maybe like a coordination or like the muscle memory of being in the air and feeling like what you need to do to make adjustments and just like fly properly. And to, and you, and I kind of needed that in a safe environment like the bike park. We can trust the jumps. If you do like come off course or fall, it's flat. You're not like tumbling down the pass like you would if you fell on parallel or something. Yeah. And it also helped that our stepsister, Christine. Yeah was she rented a big downhill bike and had all the the gear she's pretty much wearing hockey pads like covering her whole body mm-hmm. and she was hitting like these jump these huge jumps and clearing them getting more air than Tyler and I and we didn't notice that until like near the end of the day when we f- decided to follow her down the trail yeah. and we were so surprised by the the amount of air she was getting so it was it's fun to see her, and then it, that made Tyler and I both more confident when we were going down because Christine could do it, and then I'm sure we could. Yeah, it definitely made me push harder. And, yeah, the time when I followed her, and, like, I was just going the same speed she was, which is roughly what we had been doing the whole day, and then she just launches off this jump and goes, like, almost to the bottom of the of the landing. And it's, like, a – I mean, it's, like, probably a 12-foot gap between the lip of the jump to the lip of the landing, right? Mm-hmm. 10, 12 feet for most of them. And then she carries probably to 15 to 16 feet in total. And I'm like right behind her. And I look like straight up as she shoots up. And I was like, oh shit, I guess I'm doing that too. 
So it's going the same speed. Yeah, and it's not like she's going off um it timidly. Like she she's like no going into his speed and sending it like no brake checks or anything. Yeah. And she like accidentally does a tail whip, but <laughs> it looks cool when she's when she's in the air flying. Yeah. Yeah, and it was never like said anything like, Oh, these jumps feel too big or anything. She was just like, All right, we're doing it and was just like sending it. It was and then so the the turning point of the day for her was when I let her use my my pit vipers because I had goggles on my on my helmet for that. And after she started using those, she was really sending it, like really getting after it. And I think there's a direct correlation, even maybe even a causation there. Yeah, if you were pit vipers, you you pretty much have to shred. There's no other choice. So yeah, and I wear pit vipers and I wear pit viper jerseys sometimes, so that you know you know that I shred. Then that's how you know. If if you don't see anything else on Tyler, but you see his pit vipers, he probably goes fast down the down the hill. Yeah. Cool. Um, so tell the audience what you do for work. If you do, if it didn't already notice from your monotone voice and your lack of description words and lack of creativity, what do you do for work? <laughs> What's that supposed to mean? <laughs> no, I, I'm an I'm an accountant. I work at uh, Deloitte as a CPA and an auditor. Um, Started last October, had the summer off after I graduated in May of 19 uh, to study and pass all my CPA tests, which I did before I started work in October and made it through one busy season. And now I'm in my first summer here at Deloitte. Yeah, awesome. And explain to those who just like don't really have a concept of what it is. What do you do as an auditor? Like what is auditing in your sense? I know what it is, but I'm just telling for the audience. Yeah. The someone at Deloitte had a good ex- description of it, so I'll take their words. And I think they said that as auditors, we go into public companies, and if they say they made ten dollars, we kind of make sure they made eight. And <laughs> th- that's kind of our job. Like we're we're not there to make sure they like the number is exactly what they say it is, but we're just there to make sure that like what they're putting on their financial statements are roughly accurate and favorable on their taxes do you do you work to like find and i guess a tax accountant would do that but like you know find ways for their um what is it like operating revenue or something taxable taxable revenue to be as low as it can not not really as as like external auditors we have to be totally independent of the company oh so we can't really give them we can give them like some operating tips but we can't really give them any financial advice or consulting Mm. because we need to like you can't audit your own work so that's why we have to stay independent and so if we audit a company normally a different public accounting firm would do their consulting oh and the consulting would be like hey here's some tips on you know, these can actually be written off or shit like that. Yeah. The consulting. Yeah. So. And we we can do some tax projects beside from the audit, but for the most part, at least in the clients I'm on, the the tax accounting is done by a different firm. Cool. And do you have a um a category? Uh, is there a category? put on the type of clients you work with or is it like size or like industry or something like that once you've been at the company for a few years you normally find the market that 
you're kind of an expert in, but since I haven't been in the company for more than a year, I'm kind of just bouncing along from a bunch of different industries. I'm in the trucking industry. I did a banking client, health insurance, and now I'm on a, um, like a concrete mixer and like garbage <laughs> truck clients. So I'm getting a wide variety of experience. Yeah. It's so varying because like the trucking and the one you're on now, that's a lot of like heavy, heavy overhead because they have a lot of like company vehicles and, um, probably uh, pretty high labor cost where with like banking, it's a lot of like investment stuff, interest stuff, um, whatever the accounting is needed for like appreciating assets. Um, I don't even know how you, I don't, I didn't get into a, must be accounting three where they talk about like how you do the books for loans, but like all that stuff is probably pretty interesting. Yeah. It, I mean, all three of the, or four of the clients that I've worked on have been completely different because this like concrete mixer company, like they have a lot of parts, like specific parts and like chassis and whatnot that they're putting together that they all have to account for mm-hmm. versus a health insurance company is they're just taking premiums from yeah um, no, nothing tangible going on yeah there. the members in their plan nothing so. concrete <laughs> nothing concrete That's not as concrete as the concrete mixer there you go <laughs> boo that's from the, from the audience is booing me right now um that's cool so what was when and what was your thought process when like the light bulb went off your head and you off in your head and you decided i'm going to be an accountant or i want to be an accountant it's, I mean, was actually, there like a moment? Yeah, I actually have a, a good story. So I, I went into college and I didn't really have a specific plan, but I just knew I wanted to do something with business. I know a lot of kids going to college thinking the same thing. And after one year at St. John's in like the business track or whatever, I didn't really quite like it. I wanted something a little more tangible like accounting or finance. But I was like... I didn't actually like the accounting major. I didn't like accounting. So I was like, I don't want to be an accountant. They're boring. They are and they are boring. We yeah, we are boring still. <laughs> but so then I then I thought the finance degree would be the the right path for me. And I did that for one year. Um and then after my sophomore year, I studied abroad in Fiji for two and a half weeks. And the professors that um kind of guided the trip were both accounting mate or accounting professors and one of them was named Ben Trinka who's my advisor as well and we were actually like sitting on a island in Fiji having a a drink at the bar (laughs) (laughs) and we were just talking about life and Ben's like because Ben was really good at just like seeing what we wanted what we're interested in and kind of like telling us his story and where we should go in life and so we were talking he's like what do you want to do with a finance major I didn't really have a good answer. And then he talked me through um, kind of his background and why accounting would be really beneficial. And he laid it out like perfectly that I could do everything that a finance major could, but I could go get my CPA as well. And so as that night in Fiji, I told Ben that I was going to be a CPA. And then <laughs> that summer after Fiji, I switched and interviewed with Deloitte two weeks after I switched and here I am now. Here you are now. Yeah. And that was so valuable that you got an internship with Deloitte and then 
like I don't know if you told them like you made it clear you wanted to be you wanted to get a job with them like that was your goal or if that was their goal but that's just like I think that's the most important thing to getting a good job out of college it's just like getting into an internship with something you'd actually want to do full-time yeah and St. John's accounting department does a really good job of getting like all the big four accounting firms and some of the smaller accounting firms on campus to do interviews. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed with three of the big four and had job or internship offers from two. And how it works out is you, if you get an internship, you're pretty much, that's your job offer as long as you don't screw it up during the internship, which most people don't. So yeah, once I got the internship, it was kind of knew I was going to Deloitte after I graduated. Yeah. Yeah. FIS didn't, doesn't have that sort of culture. Their internship, numbers vary a lot like year to year based on what the past class like if they hired a lot from the last class they'll be like okay we'll do another big program but if they didn't then they're like you know some managers like they, we can't justify it or something a, a company of fifty five thousand employees and they're worried about that but um when i walked into my internship day literally day one doug was like okay tyler what, what are like your goals for this and i was like one get a job out of this and I said it to my manager, and then I said that to the head of the division of the office I was working in. And then he remembered me when I came back, and he's like, you got your job, right? And I was like, yes. There you go. But, yeah. Yeah. They, I mean, they made it clear in the first, like, couple weeks of the internship. You said you have lunch and dinners with various mentors at the firm and just try to get to know them on a personal level because that's, like, the one thing that separates each public accounting firm is – the people that work there because we're all doing the same thing we're following the same <laughs> yeah. guidance yeah so it's who, who you're doing with who makes or which which makes the biggest difference and so they all made it clear it's just yeah work hard and you'll have a job offer in eight weeks so yeah for sure that's cool and um i, I want to mention on like the the what your advisor said about you could do everything that a finance major can with your CPA. And I thought that was, I think that's a really good point because with that CPA and that's a big, that's a big accomplishment to have your CPA with that. You could walk into any sort of accounting or finance or like really like business math, money math related position and say you have a CPA and you probably just get it. Yeah. And and that's, it wasn't to like knock finance majors at all, but it's just a lot harder to go from finance and then say, oops, I actually want to get my CPA than it is to just get your CPA right away and then move into like a finance role. Yeah. Like a lot of CFOs are have had their CPA or yeah. got their CPA and it's now expired or something like that. Yeah. So okay. if like, it's, if your track is like high up finance or something like that, and it's not necessarily accounting or, but it still could be accounting forever and then accounting management or something like that. You can do both extremely effectively with that yeah pretty common or natural switch is to go to public accounting for however many years you work there and then um, oftentimes they take roles as controllers of the company and then that eventually turns into the cfo of the company yeah so we see that a lot when we're working with clients and going do you say wait doesn't it mean i thought you meant going private is going to the to the company didn't we just say this other day like the the term is people go into industry into industry yeah yeah so that means they 
they go work internally at a company doing the accounting. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. And I, and I don't know if I'm going to do that yet. I still haven't quite figured out my, my path after public accounting, but I have, <laughs> what's that? Uh, Alex and I want you to come and be our CFO for multimedia marketing because we don't do a very good job of that. That's not what we're good at. Well, let's take this as the official interview and you let me move out to Jackson, live in your house, and then I'll do all your finance and accounting. Okay. Accounting it's pretty work. easy right now. We get like five monthly payments at one time, like within a few days. They're not that much. And I have QuickBooks set up to, to know where they like the, you know, QuickBooks attaches the numbers that I put the invoice in for to the check that I just got it says, oh, that's from the links of Teton Peaks, for example. So it'll be very, it'll be a very tough job in the beginning because of all the transactions you have, you have to dig through. But yeah. Oh, um, since we're doing a real interview, this was a recommendation from, from Haley, our friend, the teacher. She wanted to know, she, 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 thought, she asked people like, if you were going to interview someone for a job, what would you ask them? And her question was, um, what was your AIM username? <laughs> Do you want me to answer that? Well, I'm th I think I already know, but you should go ahead. Yeah. I mean, mine was made by my mom when I was probably like four or five, but <laughs> I still have the email and that's kind of my junk mail, but it's rhockey1234. Yeah. Mine was lhpitcher1234, also made by the same woman probably in the same day. Yep. But don't email me. I already <laughs> get too many emails on that account. Yeah. I don't even... I don't even know the password for it anymore, but it's somehow still attached to my Facebook. Mm -hmm. We're going to be the first generation to like run to, to like run out of screen names. Like how many usernames do you individually have? I mean, I think I have 40 through your different work platforms, personal platforms, email platforms, all the shit. Yeah. There's definitely a lot in, way too many passwords that i can't keep track of i've tried to like write them down in a notebook but i end up losing the notebook yeah you gotta and do I phone try to put it in my phone notes but then i never can keep track of them and then i bought one of those apps that like keeps all your passwords <laughs> then i didn't use that so I, I need to figure the the password thing out for all these accounts i found so my probably you probably deloitte too our company password criteria is so strict that i just like picked one of those so then it then all the other ones that I need to do will accept that because it's super strict. Mm -hmm. Like it's got like symbols and capitals and numbers and shit. And so it, pretty much everything else follows that. And I try to stick with like one main thing and then like a couple variations based on the requirements of the platform. Yeah, ours isn't too crazy, but they make us change it um, a couple times a year. So pretty frequently. We have to do it fucking quarterly. Yeah. Like I have to, I should change mine tomorrow. And we're at the point now where... You can't, so you can't use a word you've ever used before. And so, I mean, I've worked there for four years quarterly. So I'm on like my 16th password. So I don't even like, I've gone through dog names, uh, sibling names, Taylor's name, my name. No, I can't do my name. Cause that's, that's not allowed. Um, sports teams, names, cabin name, like variations of like my birth year with like sport 
team sport numbers that I've had, different symbols, and then the numbers now can't be sequential. So you can't do like one, two, three, four. So I'm just I take like an hour to find a new password every quarter. I think your best bet would uh, to just be going into the dictionary and start picking a picking a word and a couple numbers and yeah. picking that your password. What they say to do is think of a sentence, a random sentence, and then the first letter of each of those words is your password. Plus the symbol, capital, and a number. Yeah, that's I'm like, this is way too complex. I just want, like, I, I mean, I know it's important because we, financial technology, we can, like, if you hack us, you can get to a lot of transactions, a lot of cut, a lot of banking information. It'd be bad. But, like, I don't, do I need to spend an hour, a quarter picking a password? Like, just maybe just pick one for me. Just pick one for me, send it to me, and I'll just write it down and it'll be fine. Like, give me an auto-generated code-looking thing that doesn't make any sense. That might be better. Yeah. I think, do they offer that at all? Because I know when we go to change it, they they give us like a 10-digit number with hyphens and different letters and numbers. But I obviously always just choose an easier one that I can remember. Um, We can get our customer service or our... Uh, employee support team to like give us one but they just do like random nonsense because we change it right away but yeah there's 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 got to be an app where it's like generate a password for me 10 digits symbol number go yep here's what i like sports i like the yeah. mountains i like these numbers and then you just make me a password every every quarter yeah exactly that's a, that's a good idea let's write that down yeah okay enough about passwords we're probably boring them to death so um, let's go back to the first time you came to Jackson, which was like seventh grade for me, yeah, I think. That was fourth grade for me. It was, it was spring break because yeah. I, I played hockey growing up for the, the listeners who don't know my background. And the hockey season's quite grueling, even at for a fourth grade level. And you have games and practices almost every every weekend and during the week. And once we finally, our season was over, like early March one year, we lost. And then we were, I was able to make the spring break trip out to Jackson with the family. And I never, I'd snowboarded one time, I think, in Minnesota at Trollhagen and got like a mini lesson. So I was able to go down the hill, but I wasn't good by any means. Mm. But we came out to Jackson on that fourth grade trip, and I think I left and... I was able to snowboard the whole mountain. Yeah, we did a couple of tram laps, but and that, and that was just, I'm sure you thought this too, but it was just like, you know, you we roll up to Trollhog and then we just look up and we're like, whoa, that's big. And then we come here and it's just like, this is a whole different thing. Like there's levels upon levels, there's lodges, um, like up high, like there's lodges like halfway up the mountain and at the top of the mountain and not just, not just at the bottom, like most hills in, in minnesota are it's just like a whole different thing yeah I, I remember like asking our dad like hey dad how like how much bigger is it in jackson hole than troll hog and he's like and his response was always like way bigger i'm like like how much bigger like it can't be that big yeah. and then you get out here and you like see the top of the tram and it just blows you away especially as a fourth grader and barely know how to snowboard yeah, I'm sure that what's what's the the vertical of Trollhagen is probably 500 feet. The vertical of JHMR is 4,500 feet. 
So what's the math on that? How many times bigger? Nine? Nine. Good math. Nine times bigger? Yeah. So it doesn't even, like, the fourth grade or the seventh grade brain can't even really fathom that. Mm-mm. You know? Yeah. But, me. But, but that first trip that we took, uh, it was in, in the spring. And obviously in the springtime, it's really warm and they don't get a lot of snow. So uh, the hill gets, or the mountain gets a lot of moguls that are built up. And I just remember going through the moguls on a snowboard and I hated it so much that I swore I would never snowboard again in Jackson Hole. So (laughs) I started skiing after that trip. Yeah, that was the last day. That was such a fun trip because it was just like in the spring here, you know, it doesn't really snow as much. Obviously, it was like late March that we were here. So it's just super warm and you go up high in the morning and like do some bigger runs, harder runs. And then that trip we would just rip like they'd open the terrain park at like one o'clock every day or something and what 12 30 and we just rip terrain park laps all afternoon because they're just soft and slushy and you can just do the jumps and not worry about falling and do the boxes and it was uh i just remember being a really fun culture because it was like everybody would go there and wait at the beginning and like you wait till your turn and you yell dropping in and then you you watch everybody do their thing and there's really good riders here that we're, we're like, whoa, holy crap, they're doing all these tricks. Yeah, I, I was, really enjoyed that. On that trip, I was blown away. There was another kid who had to have been like three, four years younger than me, and he was doing like 360s, and he, he seemed to be the best rider going off all the jumps, and I was just so enamored by by how like someone could be that good at that young of an age. Yeah, and now we know he just lived here, and it was Kai Jones or something. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just their their tuesday they're going out there and yeah like that's their gym class or something yeah yeah it's pretty insane and then i also remembered like and it's kind of still this way just like everyone hanging out in the warm base areas like end of the day like i had a lot of days this year like that where it's just like hang out have fun and that's those memories uh those are the things i remember about that trip just you know we weren't drinking up at that age obviously but like parents were the other adults were and we were just hanging out having fun as like a little ski just like a skier community just at the bottom yeah it having never been out here before it's just so fun to like get in like the ski village it's just a different atmosphere than anything we've ever ever been a part of yeah for sure um was there when was the moment or was there a moment when you kind of realized that jackson is different than other mountain places well, one, I've been here the most out of any other place. I, I've skied at Bozeman one time, and I've um, been on a couple summer trips to Denver or Vail and then Boulder. But I think just the size and the valley here, just the vibe is so much different than any other place. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. It's hard to really put words towards it, but mm-hmm. I think it's just like the beauty and the yeah, it's just. It's just way, way, way more, yeah, way more different than the other mountains and just the culture. Yeah. Yeah. My moment was, um, partially when we went to the Vail on the Vail trip, we stayed in Vail in like in the summer and we went there to like work out and exercise for football at the altitude and then like have some fun, ride some bikes and do some hiking. Um, that, that was a moment for me. And then the big moment was when Taylor and I went and skied at Park City 
and like you you know park city advertises they're, they're the largest ski resort in america because they have the most acreage and we go there and like the vertical is like if you get a thousand uh maybe two thousand feet of vertical on, on at the most on a run there and the snow was really crappy that year so it showed up in a bad light but i i just saw the mountains around there and i was like these aren't these are not the tetons these are not as rugged or as jagged or as big as the Tetons. Like this is not as good, not as big. And I think, I think we're just, I'm super spoiled having the Tetons to go to and that we have been going here for a while. But that was the moment where I was like, okay, like they're not on the same playing field. Maybe a lot of the Colorado resorts and park city are, but like Jackson is just kind of separate. Yeah. And I guess I can only attest to skiing Bridger bowl in in bozeman and that was a it's kind of a smaller resort more of a a local vibe there Mm -hmm. but it was still a ton of fun a lot of a lot of cool runs and they have this kind of unique thing where you take a chairlift to like 700 feet below the peak and then you have to like unclip your skis and climb up to the top if you Mm want to get like the fresh snow and the good snow Mm -hmm. and so not a lot of people do that so no matter what day you go out, whether it's snowed the past day or the past week, like you're going to get some good turns in, which I thought was really cool, but still didn't have the same vertical or the same like difficulty as Jackson Hole did. Yeah. Yeah. Jackson Hole is super busy because it is known now as it, it's like, it's totally on trend. It's like the hot resort. It's like, it's the place right now. No thanks to the Kardashians, but it's so, it's so busy. So like, powder days get tracked out quicker the groomed runs get messed up quicker like it's just, that just happens for me super popular but the ability to ride any of the chairlifts and find some really really crazy terrain is probably unmatched you could ride up probably all the chairlifts except for team or not and find a cliff right yeah no I mean, and the one and uh the moose creek the one that brings you back from the hobacks Right. I mean, you barely have to go looking for it. You just turn your head in both directions. You'll find you'll find a cliff somewhere. Yeah. Like I, I spent a lot of my powder days um, lapping this one section. I'd go up sublet. You go up sublet and then you go over to the bottom of Rendezvous Bowl. And then you take another left and you go along the cat track that would take you to like the top of Thunder. But then you drop off to the side before, like way before Peppy's Ridge. And there's this cliff line up there that always says like closed cliffs. But then there's one little chute that they sometimes have open. And we, they did this year because it was good enough snow. And so you drop down the chute and you can do, you can hit a cliff line off the sides, do a chute, go to a little flat area. And then there's another cliff line where you can like kind of pick your poison. You can find a roller and just kind of go down it. Or you can find a very big cliff and jump it. There's enough room. And then there's another flat area and then another cliff line. <laughs> And the same thing where you can kind of pick your poison, find your line that you think would be good. And there's enough room that you can get some, you can go pretty deep into it. And so we had a couple of days with like Noah and another guy, his buddy, Sam, that now lives out here. They're really good skiers. Um, and their other buddy, Alex actually too, um, where we were just lapping these things and just like, it was such a good energy just to like be, everyone's super pumped up about hitting this line. Everyone's really, everyone's good enough to like, you can tell them like, yeah, go for it, push it a little bit. And we're just doing it up in each other. Like, it's just so much fun. And you just do that off a normal chairlift. You're not like 
backcountry. You not have to do the tram all the time. It's just like you can just lap this all day. Yeah, and we kind of had a day like that this past winter when we were skiing with your friend Jeff and Cove and a couple other people like joined up and just being able to do laps with like those groups of people and you're yeah you're slashing like snow at them or all of a sudden Cove does a backflip just right next to you and you're not expecting it. <laughs> yeah. like, it's stuff like that that just makes it so much more fun than like going out and like getting some turns on your own. Definitely. Yeah. That's something I missed. Um, or that's something I really value because all through college, like none of my friends skied or snowboarded. So I didn't go with like anybody like ever. Like I, like I can think of like five times where I went with somebody all through, all through college. Yeah, I think it just kind of speaks to, like, it's it's fun to go out and mountain bike by yourself and ski by yourself or, like, on a lake, like, go jet skiing by yourself. But it's really, like, who you're with and, like, like yeah, who you're with and, like, doing it there with you that makes it so much more fun and enjoyable and makes it that memory that just sticks, like, sticks a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun to mountain bike that trail the trails we've hit, but it's way more fun to chase you and I be chasing each other down the hill on our mountain bikes and be like, like tire to tire. Like it's so much more exciting when I'm like right behind you. and like, I'm not really seeing the bumps. I'm just like, all right, if he's doing it, I'm doing it. And like, I just stay prepared and stay light and stay agile and just like, just go. Right. And, and then when you can share that, that memory with someone, like we'll be able to talk about like the, like the runs we've done this week for a yeah. while. And, it's like, oh, do you remember when you fell over your handlebars? <laughs> yeah. Like that was hilarious. And just yeah. like being able to share those memories makes it that much more enjoyable than going out by yourself and Yeah. Riding. And even yeah, even if like and I think of our our trip up when we toured up Edelweiss. So that was my first trip on Edelweiss ever. And I didn't I didn't want to do it without somebody else. So I just and I trust you out there, even though you don't know anything about the backcountry. But I trust you logically and athletically. And I know that like if something happened, you could get us out and I could get you out. Um, but like that day was like some of the best turns I had all winter, like probably top, top two, three days I had all winter was that, that one. And if I had just done that on my own and I was like telling Taylor, like, Oh it, babe, it was crazy. It was snowing so hard. It was like just nuking. Like we couldn't see anything. I couldn't see anything way up. Like, and there was these other, these, these Malamutes that were up there. They were so big and yeah, fluffy. Those, it was awesome. Those dogs were huge. Yeah. They were big ass Malamutes. And the, the owner said that he does that every single day. And I was like, you're a badass. And, and then we do these turns and it's like, Oh, Taylor was like, I couldn't breathe. It was like up over my head. Like it was so deep. It was amazing. That's just like basically talking to a wall because Taylor's like, I mean, Taylor's loves that stuff too, but she's wasn't there. So she can't be like, she wouldn't really wouldn't get her out of her seat. Like if you and I were reminiscing of it. Yeah. Like this past winter, you would just call me after you'd been snowboarding or had a big powder day. And it's like, yeah, yeah that, wow, that sounds amazing. But then like when you're actually like there doing it, yeah. like your excitement and it like just grows when you're like, Oh yeah, I just shredded a mountain with like a foot of powder. Like yeah. that just means so much more when you're there doing it than when the, when you call me. And mostly just makes me jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. I try to not call Al to tell talk about that stuff because like he doesn't do this stuff. So I'm like, you know, I I talk to Al like five times a day, but I don't talk to him about that stuff because I I it's definitely falling on deaf ears. 
because I say, yeah, I caused a little slide today. And that means nothing to him. Or like, yeah, the boys and I were up and through like three feet of pow. That doesn't really mean anything to him because he just never done that. Yeah. But you have. And you know what causing a slide means. And if I told you I did, I did Edelweiss, you would know, you would be able to picture what that felt like. Yep. We got we to get you out there on a the clear day. Because the only day you did it, it was super socked in. Like That kind of added to the excitement and adventure of the day too because we were both first time yeah first time ski touring in the back country and we couldn't even see where we were going really because it was snowing so hard yeah but and that yeah definitely added to the adventure and it made it more like made me more, a little bit more tense because it's like you know we could take a wrong turn and really fuck up here but i've been up there when it's warm and sunny and i like have my shirt off and it's just like it's so chill now that i've done it and when it's bright when it's sunny you're not that far from the road like Right. If you if you get lost there, you're really doing something wrong. You really have to just follow the elevation down, and you're going to get to the road if you really need to get out. Yeah, you'll get somewhere where there's a road. Just go yeah. down. Yeah, the elevation all points back to the road because they've like followed a creek to make the road at one point. But yeah, definitely. What else should we talk about? What, oh, what, um, so I, I think I might've mentioned on here before, but Ryan and I are going to climb the grand this summer and I'm speaking it into existence so that we have to do it now. We can't chicken out. We can't get lazy about it. Like uh, about not setting it up. I'm speaking it to my audience. So now it has to happen. So audience, hold me accountable family and friends, if you're listening to this, hold us accountable. If you haven't seen us posting something from it by October, tell us we need to get our ass in gear or September actually probably. Yeah. We should just do it. And more so tell Ryan to get his butt back out here because it's too snowy to do it right now. Um, so he needs to come back out. Yeah. And luckily with the, luckily with the COVID, um, all Deloitte employees are working from home as I'm sure a lot of other people are mm-hmm. and you have good Wi-Fi, So that means I can just hop in my car and drive out here and work in Jackson rather than in Minnesota. Yeah. Keep going. I'm just checking the camera. So we're having some camera issues here at stories from a mountain town. My normal camera, the Sony a6500 I use for most things. It doesn't want to take video. And if there's anybody out there that knows cameras, please message me about this because it's really bothering me. So I got a new memory card. I have two memory cards for it. They're good high-speed memory cards. Um, but all of a sudden, I'll go to press the video button on the camera and it thinks it's there's not enough, no, there's not any room on the memory cards, even though the memory cards are totally empty. Um, so I don't know what I'm doing. I might need, I don't really want to have to just go buy a new memory card every time this happens, but might have to. So today we're using a GoPro with a makeup mirror light behind it. <laughs> so yeah. Um, oh, that's sick. Look at what I just made. Okay. So, so yeah. So we're going to... No, we're not taking a break. We'll be done soon. What are we at? 47 minutes. Yeah, we'll be done soon. So, um, we're climbing the grand Ryan, what are some of your preliminary thoughts or fears about climbing the grand? 
well, the first one and the biggest one is obviously like falling off and dying. <laughs> like plenty of people have done that in the top of the grand. But I think the biggest fear is just like not being in of like not having enough fitness to make it to the top or ma- like having it be so like grueling that it's not enjoyable. Mm. Yeah. Like I want to be able to be in as good of a shape where I can enjoy the whole way up and the climb and enjoy the views when I'm up there and not have to worry about like climbing down this huge mountain once we get to the top. For sure. Yeah. Those are valid. And you, and so I think as far as big mountain climbs go, the grand is pretty easy. Like there's a route where you can basically just hike it the whole way. You don't have to actually do any climbing. But the classic route, the Exum route, is what it's called. You know, created by Exum guides that people will go through. It has some climbing in it, but it's like like your ability is is enough. And everyone I've talked to around here that's done it, they say the conditioning is more important than the climbing ability because I'm the opposite. Yeah, you have you've climbed enough to do it, but you don't live at you don't live here. I live here and do stuff. Um, I've I'm in mountain shape. But I don't, I've climbed like twice in a gym ever. <laughs> and so everyone I've talked to says, no, you like, you want the conditioning more. Right. And I, I think it's not just a hike to the top. Like there's some spots where you have to do some, not scrambling. really scrambling. Like, yeah. Like scrambling, not really rock climbing, but it's not like if you fall, you're going to be able to like get back up. Like the stakes are very high when you're at the top. Um, so like, although it's easy climbing the the stakes are really high yeah yeah i mean you're still i mean the top of it is just under 1400 feet and the valley floor is six so you're like eight thousand feet above the valley floor and you're basically on sheer sheer you're doing all the hardest climbing when you're at the top so yeah it gets steeper as you go up i don't know if that's the same with all mountains but all the stuff that we climb in the Tetons gets steeper the higher you're up. So it just is so much harder to, when you're hiking it because it's you're breathing heavier and it's steeper. So it's more difficult muscular, muscularly, muscularly. Is that a word? More muscularly. It's harder on your muscles to pull you up the steeper slope and you don't have any oxygen because you're higher. Yep. That's what I was trying to say. That's cool. Um, yeah, I think I don't, my only fear is just that I would never do it. I don't have, I don't really have any fear about the climb. We, the, the amount of people that climb it and the athleticism and coordination of the people that climb it, you'd probably be surprised. Like it's usually just like rich people that do it. Yeah. And I, I don't want to like, it's a big climb, so I don't want to like be naive and go in there thinking I'm like. A relatively in shape Minnesotan, I can just do it. <laughs> so I'm gonna have the mindset of it's really hard, and I'm gonna train quite a bit so that I am prepared for it. Really, the only thing you can do in Minnesota is like get one of those altitude masks. Yeah, that too, or you can just run in Hayward on those trails because all they do is go up and down. Yeah, but that's not the altitude. Like that's mu- right. then your muscles will be good, and you have a, a good start on the lung capacity, but it's like, I I think unless you're doing something at altitude, you can't really train for altitude. 
Yeah, I would agree. Even since I've been out here for eight days, um, I'm pretty well acclimated now. Like when Tyler and I are biking and we're out like eight, 9,000 feet, I feel like I can keep up well and um, yeah, I can keep my heart rate down. But it's normally when we do like a sprint or if I'm like trying to race you, then my heart rate gets too high and then I can't really like get it low, like lower again. Like, I'm not in good enough shape to do that. Yeah, definitely. And I'm even... I'm, I'm a little bit, like, out of, like, altitude shape right now because most biking is done at lower altitudes, like, six. Six to six to eight at the most. But, like, it's... We got to, like, to train for this, we got to go do, you know, climb Rendezvous, climb, climb the resort, or, like, climb Mount Glory a bunch of times because that's, like, the kind of shit, like, to get, like, that... that 10,000 to 13, seven zone that we need that we don't really have experience in. We got to go do that shit. Yeah. It's different from just taking the tram up and yeah. like skiing down. Like, yeah, you're up there and it's hard to breathe, but I feel like it's a whole new, new world when you're up there and you're, you still got to climb higher. We got to like lap. We got to go up and just like do laps on rendezvous bowl or something. Right. That'd be like nine, nine, five to 10. No. 9 8 to 10 4 50 just like back and forth yeah i don't sprint sounds like a bad idea i don't think i could do that but definitely just hiking up <laughs> up and down would be no some good yeah. training and and like the different type of muscle fibers you need for that long endurance style of activity is a lot different than our f- quick twitch muscles probably for mountain biking is pretty quick twitch the downhill it is. I mean, like, I'm just, our football muscles are quick twitch. Skiing is more quick twitch, but like that long, like it can, it doesn't have that like fast explosive ability, but it has that, like it'll keep working for eight hours doing the same thing, doing the, doing the steps and the climbs. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of found that when I was training for my marathon last year, because I've been like a sprinting athlete my whole life with like football <laughs> and hockey you were a quarterback you did sprint anywhere and then you were defend your defense well in hockey sure anyways <laughs> the endurance training <laughs> with the marathon is totally different than any of the training i did growing up so yeah like just it's like a different mindset and uh like something my muscles weren't used to right away did you find when you were training for your marathon that you needed to like um, like purposely restrain yourself when you were training uh, or else you'd like sprint, like go too fast uh, over your pace and just burn yourself out. Yeah, definitely. Cause part of the training plan is every week you have to do like a long run over 10 miles. Mm-hmm. And the first one I did, I like felt good after like the first few miles. And I just tried to keep that same like pace and by like mile five or six, I was just dead. And so like the last four were a lot harder. But as I did more and more long runs, I got better at like pacing myself for what I could handle for like 20 miles. Mm-hmm. And so that just took practice and time. You can't, it's hard to just go out and like pace yourself. Yeah. I, I started to notice that when I do like ski to big ski tours or climbing Mount Glory, where if I was alone with no one in front of me, I was just like, running up the mountain and then i just like fall to my knees when i got to the top but i figured out like oh i just need to like pace myself like find a rhythm of step step breathe or something and like 
have the timing right and then I just I can just keep going and I don't really need breaks then if I just get the right rhythm and so I'm not burning myself out and I don't know is, I don't know if that's just like a common inexperienced thing or like us having part of our dad in us that's just like get to go as fast as you can or like the football mindset just like we're just going just go go just go fast or what it what it is but yeah and I'm not really into like I'm obviously I work in accounting so I'm not into the the science of this whole training stuff but there I did find that if I was able to keep my heart rate below like a certain level I could keep my speed for what seemed like hours mm-hmm. but as soon as it got over like a, a a threshold I would burn out within a couple miles yeah did you does your watch um track that yeah so like when we were running the marathon with my friend Sam and I, I was always just watching my my heart rate and our pace, trying to keep it below um, whatever our our time was that we set, and just monitoring that because we never run um, like over twenty miles during the start of the race. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think I should probably get some sort of like like an Apple Watch or some sort of watch like yours for for all the stuff I'm doing. Does does the you've been mentioning the the nicer Garmin watch? Does that have GPS on it? Yeah, they all do. Do your does yours? Mm-hmm. Do you have it on? Yeah. Can I see it? It's got a cool feature where you can preset um your route that you want to do. So it'll, it'll like map up with like trails in the area or like routes that you've pre- previously run, and there's like a map version that shows you like where you're going and where you've been so if you ever lost you could just follow your tracks out yeah that's what that's what i'm interested in for the sake of my activities like if i'm touring out somewhere um i mean i set like strava and strava has a pretty good gps in it on my phone but can you wait can you connect strava to this yeah whenever i I have my Garmin watch set up to my Strava account. So whenever I'm done with a bike ride or a run, um, I I just hit complete on the watch and then it uploads to Strava automatically. Hmm. This is pretty neat. Dude, smartwatches are such a crazy concept. They're just like, like, let's take all this bio data and gps data and all this shit that like 20 years ago would fit in this a box the size of like my xbox or something and put it on a watch the size of a nick the size of a quarter it's kind of insane yeah and it's a really light too there's like nothing in here i'd originally got got the watch because i was doing a couple triathlons my senior year of college and it's for like training and the actual race itself it's good to track your time and it, i just think it's so cool how you can hop on a bike and it tracks your your cadence and your pace and like how many miles you go and then you start running and it just automatically does that and you when you're in the pool it like counts your your strokes and how fast you're going as well yeah 94 beats per minute is that good i think that's good yeah, yeah. i'm not i'm not the science guy yeah we'll ask taylor Awesome. Um, so we're getting up about an hour here. So uh, we'll wrap it up. Something that I've been doing 
with all with all the episodes here during COVID and during the pandemic is asking my guests um, what's something you've done in the pandemic in quarantine that you didn't really do before to keep yourself busy, keep yourself, you know, I always talk about the books that I've been reading. Like what's something you've been doing that's different than your normal routine to stay busy, stay not bored, stay sane during um, quarantine. Yeah. I, for me, cause I bought a, a new mountain bike this spring and I knew I was coming out here. And so I wanted to be in good, like biking shape, mm-hmm. but besides that like having working inside and looking at a laptop all day i like if i wouldn't get outside and like hop on the bike i would kind of go crazy like i would just need to get out of the house and mm-hmm. get like some exercise and some sunlight in, in me and then i would feel so much better and be able to work a lot a lot better and yeah longer than if i was just inside or if i did a quick workout in the house so for sure just getting outside and like the nature in the woods and biking was has been my saving grace definitely i like that a lot i like when i get into the my rhythm um i'm kind of in it right now it's tough when there's guests in town but i'll you know work my fis day you know seven to four usually because i it's just a lot of shit to do um and then i'll go on a bike ride or a ski tour or something and then i'll come back and do merle tamini work and I think like getting out and doing that like re-energizes my brain and my body and my eyes, like, you know, getting your eyes some real light instead of blue light, I think has a lot of benefit. So yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah. And the past few weeks here before I came out, we had a, a tight deadline to make. And so I was working from like 7am to five and then I would just be dead. So I'd like grab my bike and go for a quick like hour ride and I'd come back and my like productivity after the bike ride was like two X what it was before the bike mm-hmm. ride. Totally. Awesome. Um, yeah. So my thing that I've been doing lately, so I've been reading a lot. So you see all the books I have on my shelf there. So I just finished flow and I've talked about it on the pod before, but it's all about like the flow state and the psychology behind it and like why we get into it. And then like how to, structure your life and your consciousness to get into it more so that was really cool so it was all about like their big point is like a couple things you need to um realize that your happiness is determined on an internal decision that things are things are going to you're going to get something good out of every situation and not just like what is happening to you, whether that's good or bad, because then that can, then it's out of your control. And then the, there's a graph that they have of the difficulty of the activity versus, um, or yeah, the, yeah, the difficulty of the activity. So if it's, you need to find that right sweet spot where the activity you're doing and the, the magnitude you're doing it at is pushing your abilities just enough so that you're not scared. Because if, you know, we went on climb the Everest on our own, that'd be too much. We wouldn't go into the flow state because we'd be terrified at the same time. When we just, when you just walked to walk to your car to leave, that doesn't put you in the flow state. Cause it's not difficult enough. 
So when you're doing activities, try to push yourself right to the boundary and just like a, just a touch past it, just to push yourself, get in the flow state and get that, get the, get your brain pumping like it, like it wants to be. Yeah. Without having read the book, it sounds like you just need to get like just out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And that like, and that's when the flow state will kick in Mm -hmm. and like get you through that experience rather than if you're not pushing yourself enough, you don't really need that flow, that flow state. Yeah, it's just past your comfort zone, but also with a level of control in it that you can control that it's past your comfort zone and know that like, yes, this you know, even though I'm uncomfortable, I have control of it. Um, and it's not like somebody else managing it or something like that, I guess. Um, that was a good one. That was recommended from Carol. She sent it to me. Um, and then I just started the sacred mushroom and the cross i've been talking about it for a while on here and i just started it and as a reminder it's all about this guy this guy he's like uh whatever the word is for someone who's basically a scientist of language and historical languages old languages and and he's a historian as well he was on the dead sea scrolls project he found a correlation between modern christian traditions um having their uh, originating out of like magic mushroom taking magic mushrooms and ceremonies with magic mushrooms back in the early days of christianity and like old testament and even before that in like way ancient sumeria and it's really nutty like i'm like it's pretty i I think it's legit because he has really good sources and like a lot of people have talked that it's that it's really legit but it's just really nutty how like the there's so many ideas that got lost the translation of the bible over over time where like our current english bible might say like might refer to oh the, the other part of it too is these early early christians and early old testament jews they were like heavy into like um fertility rituals and stuff like that because that was like the basis of growing the community is you had to be like fertile so there's like things where like the word that this ancient language used for jesus or god or father is really like the one who has sex with the earth or something like that and like we've it had to be translated to like old aramaic and then to greek and then to german and then to english so like and the with when you translate through that many languages and that much time the ideas the sentiments behind the words that they're using don't exactly match up with our english words you know they say they say a noise that means means something and it's you know oh there's a greek word that's kind of like that that came from that and means something similar to that so here's going to translate it to greek then there's then we go to German and it's like there's a German word kind of like the Greek word came from the Greek word kind of sounds is the same idea as the Greek word translated to that and there's an English word kind of like the German word sounds like the German word came from the German word but it's not exactly the German meaning and now we're four steps away from the original meaning of what they meant and we're 2000 years away from it also it's just a really long game of telephone yeah. Yeah. And, and it just has like bigger stakes because how many, I mean, there's probably 3 billion Christians in the world or something like that. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like the second largest religion in the world. And people are basing their lives off of this stuff. And it's, like you just said, it's a giant 3,000, 2,000 year long game of telephone through languages. So it's just like added stakes. And it's just like really interesting about like, maybe it's not, didn't happen, but a lot of stuff maybe didn't happen, but just kind of cool to go through the thought exercise of like, whoa, what if this is the real origins of Christianity? It doesn't debunk it at all. It's just like at that time they were really, really focused on like growing crops, making sure they got crops, making sure their animals reproduced and, and so they could keep feeding their families and making sure the humans reproduced. So they're way into like anything that could keep people fertile and keep kids coming out and keep the crops coming out and crops are super valuable. So like, oh, this plant that is a mushroom that comes out right after rain must be sacred because it comes up in, in like a half an hour after the rain. It must be God putting it in there right away and it comes out. And then I trip balls and I see, I talk to God, must be sacred, you know? Yeah, it's, I think regardless if it's true or not, it's good to like read other things, whether it helps your argument or not. But like, even if, even if it's not true, it's good to just go through that thought experiment of yeah, what if. Yeah. And I'm learning a lot by, uh, about like, like I didn't know the Bible actually got translated from like Sumerian or Aramaic to Greek to Latin to German to English. They don't really tell you that or I didn't pay attention to that if they did tell me that. And like the words, the names that we know of all the big Bible names like Abraham, Moses, Jesus, God, all those, all the apostles, the English word for them isn't what they're actually called. Like there's some Aramaic names for all those guys that is just Aramaic. And this is, we're just using their English, rough English translation of it. So I didn't know that either. I was like, oh, we just, you know, those names sound normal to us because we've all used them because Christians like to use names from the Bible. And that's like roughly what they would have been in the real time, but it's not at all what they are. Right. I don't think John the Baptist's name was actually John. Yeah. Maybe it was, it was but... Well, yeah, I, I thought like that it was, and we've carried on that tradition of the name because, like I said, Christians will name their kids Christian stuff. But it's not at all that. It's not that we just carried it on. It's like it's something totally different, and once it got it translated to English, that's the names they picked, and then from that point, we've carried it on because we name our kids stuff that's Christian. So that was something that I learned about the Bible and Christianity that I didn't know from my 13 years of Christian education. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to keep reading the book and let us know what other tidbits you find out. Well, he's he's doing a really good lead up because it's, you know, you can't start the book by saying mushrooms are the reason for Christianity. So he's doing a lot of lead up of here's why I think all this in like three chapters. I'm like four chapters in and he hasn't really, he's mentioned mushrooms twice. All he's done now is saying, okay, here's how we, here's how we can track these words through thousands of years and like through, oh, another thing they showed. Do you know why our letters are shaped the way they are? No. Like A, B, and C. Do you know why they are? The, the first, the beginning 
formats of, of letters were pictures, right? Pictographs. It was like, here's a house, and this means house, like come to my house or something. The letter, and I said house specifically because the letter B started as a picture of a house and the Sumerian word for house started with the sound that we go, we, we call B. And it eventually, so it was like, if you think of the side of the B is the floor, they used to do it that way because of the, the tablets they were making at the time were whatever shape that would be or whatever formatting that would be. And then they switched the side that went to like landscape from like landscape to like whatever the other way is. So they, so they flipped in the letters and they kept the B, the house picture, and but they turned it on its side. So now it's like two humps with a floor as the house. And this says like the, the word for house in Sumerian. And then like um, some culture, like a few thousand years later, changed it a little bit more. So it looks less like a house. And then now it's like, two triangles with a with the with the line on the right and then eventually we get to our b so m most of our letters started as pictures of the the ancient language word that they were that they started with is that insane yeah wow that's a nice little history lesson there yeah do i even need to read the book yes you need well i don't think you'd be very interested in it but yeah it's insane okay so, yeah, so I've been reading a lot. I'm really enjoying it. Get up, make my coffee, read before I work, and feel like I've learned learned something totally outside of my job, outside of normal life, before I even start my normal day. It's been good. Yeah, no, that, that's a good practice, too, because no matter what goes on in your work day, you feel accomplished that you, you yeah. woke up and read and learned something. Even yeah. if you have a crappy day at work or you don't get your workout in. You still learn something and improved yeah. in that way. Yeah. And I try to read books that are totally outside of my day-to-day -day life because I just to like expand my horizons or whatever so that I'm learning like, you know, about freaking mushrooms and ancient Christianity in the same day that I'm also like selling banking, banking technology and doing marketing stuff and, you know, hiking mountains. But yeah. Anything else for the, for the, for the audience, Ryan? If anything comes up, we'll have to do another podcast. Yeah, after we climb the Grand, we should do another one yep. and, and decompress and talk about it. Indeed. We'll definitely earn those. All right. Um, that is it for today, everyone. That's an episode. Thank you all for listening, and have a good week.